Well, good morning. Before we go into the sermon, before I go into preacher mode, we need to do something really important and present new members. So I'm going to call out their names and they will stand up so that you can recognize them. First, we have the Folagati family, Jennifer and Lucas. Would you please stand? Wonderful. Thank you. The Hunton family this morning. We have Brad, April, and Alexa. I don't see Brad, but that's okay. He had to work. Okay. All right. Next, we have the Keys, Avery and Kelly. Would you please stand? All right. Wonderful. Thank you. Ashley and Chris, Keith, would you please stand? All right. The Nolte family, Joe and Sharon, would you please stand? All right, wonderful. The Rayo family, Dale, Janelle, right here, all right, wonderful. The Rayo family. And finally, we have the Ward family, Caroline, Karen, and Rick, would you please stand? And Anna, that's right, and Anna, <laughs> Anna. All right, would you welcome me and welcome them. Join me, welcome me. It's been a good Sunday so far. Amen? Amen. Wonderful Sunday, and we're grateful for what the Lord is doing at Grace Community Church. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. I know the plan is for Stephen to finish 1 Corinthians. He wants to finish it, finish well. And so the plan is for him to finish June 2nd. That will be his last sermon. And it's been a, a wonderful journey, hasn't it? Through 1 Corinthians. Learning what the Lord has for his church, his will for his church. So let's begin reading in actually chapter 12, verse 31. And we'll go through chapter 13, verse 7. But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. 
May the Lord bless the reading of his word this morning. Pastor Stephen told us that we have been climbing a mountain with the Apostle Paul. From the beginning of this letter, Paul has been arguing that they have, the Corinthian church, they had one main problem. They lacked the desire to build others up. They were living the Christian life for themselves. And so now we have been climbing this mountain with the Apostle Paul, following his argument, and now we have reached the top of the mountain. We have come to chapter 13, probably the central message of the entire letter is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And he will do one thing in this chapter, one main thing, and it is to show the Corinthians that they had lost their way. They got lost. And Paul will show them that there is one more excellent way. He will bring them back and show them the more excellent way. And we already know that this way is love. And the Apostle Paul will convince the Corinthian church, and hopefully us as well, that love is the more excellent way, and he will do so in this chapter by highlighting four things about love. Four things. That's it. You have four words that sum up the entire chapter. Four things he wants to communicate, and we will see three this morning. The first one is this. Love's indispensability. The indispensable nature of love. The second thing he will highlight is love's other-centeredness, as opposed to selfishness, other-centered nature of love. And number three, love's comprehensiveness. There you go. That's the chapter. And then we'll save the other one for next week, so I won't tell you what that is next week. But he will prove this morning to us that there is nothing like love. Nothing compares to love in the Christian life. And the first point, as I mentioned it already, is out of verses 1, 2, and 3. Love is the more excellent way because of its indispensability. Let me read verses 1, 2, and 3 once again. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not loved, I gain nothing. The first thing that Paul does in chapter 13, as he's dealing with the Corinthians and helping them understand what the problem is, is to prove that love is indispensable. Now, what does the word indispensable mean? It means something that you can't do without. You can't do without. Think of uh, love as you would think of oxygen. Oxygen is to the physical body what love is to the Christian life. It is that important. You can have a physical body that looks amazing on the outside, but take away its oxygen and it is worthless. 
This is what Paul is saying. As as oxygen is important to the physical life, so love is to the Christian life. You can't do away with it. If you dispense with oxygen, the body dies, you lose everything. The same is true of love in the Christian life. If you dispense with love, you lose everything. You have nothing in the Christian life. Nothing else matters without love. Now, Paul will argue for the indispensability of love by way of comparison. Comparison. Maybe you picked up on it. And he takes the virtue of love and he puts it against really valuable things that we know as spiritual gifts. Pastor Stephen has been teaching us about spiritual gifts out of chapter 12, and he, Paul will come back to it in chapter 14. But he will take the virtue of love and compare it to several wonderful things that are really valuable to the life of the church, spiritual gifts. But maybe you, you, you notice something special about these gifts. These are not your average gift. These are not normal gifts, that the ones that he mentions in, chapter, in verses 1, 2, and 3. In fact, to prove... The absolute supremacy of love above all things, Paul will use a rhetorical tool that helps with communication to convey the point better. And the tool that he will use is known as hyperbole. Hyperbole. Have you heard of that word before? Hyperbolic language. What is hyperbolic language? Hyperbolic language is exaggerated language. So hyperbole is exaggeration. And Paul will use hyperbole to prove his point that love is indispensable to the Christian life. So let's see what he does. Let's go to verse 1. First gift he mentions. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels. This would be unrivaled speech abilities. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he doesn't have this gift. This is an amazing gift. Can you imagine if you had this gift of the tongues of men? You could speak any language known to men. You could go to any mission trip and you would speak the language of the locals even better than the locals. By the way, in Guatemala, I have this gift. (laughs) I do. It's pretty good. I like it. But can you imagine if you had this gift, you go on any mission trip to any country in the world, you go to Germany, you go to China, you go to Guatemala, and you can speak the the, the tongues of men. You, You speak better than the locals. You can communicate. No more language school for you. Missionary agencies looking for you to send you because you can speak the tongues of men. Missions in general would benefit from this, wouldn't it? It would be important, very useful. Now, what about the tongues of angels? What's that? I'm not sure what that is. I don't know what that is. It's a mysterious language or something. Maybe the angels do have a language, and apparently they do, based on some psalms that say that they speak to God in in their own language. Not sure how that would help the church, but that would be pretty cool if you ask me, if you can speak the tongues of angels. Can you imagine if your, your pastor spoke angelic language i know what you would do you would go to the southern baptist convention and mingle with the people and you would tell them you know uh, my pastor he he talks to angels what does your pastor do right 
He has coffee with angels. He can interact with angels in their own language. Now, surely there is use in speaking the tongues of men and the tongues of angels. It would be beneficial to the church. But hold that thought. Let's go to the second gift. What about the second gift? And if I have prophetic language, prophetic powers, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, this we would call unlimited theological understanding. Wouldn't that be useful? I would love to have this gift. Unlimited theological language, uh, uh, understanding. You know all secrets. There are no theological mysteries to you. You know Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. Yeah, you would know those secrets. You would know them. There are no limits to the knowledge that you would have. Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, John Owen, they know nothing next to you. You have unlimited understanding. Charles Spurgeon, he would seat at your feet to learn from you. And, and here, here's what, it would be amazing. Can you imagine teaching Sunday school with this kind of gift? Teaching children with this kind of gift? I would benefit from it as a preacher. I would love to have this gift. Think about this, your normal life. You would never have that awkward moment with your child when he comes to you and he asks you that impossible question that no one has ever thought about before. You would never have that awkward moment because you would know all answers to all questions. You would be a better parent if you had all the knowledge. All preachers could benefit from this. No atheist could ever silence you because you would silence them. You would, you, them. You would have all the answers to their uh, objections. Can you imagine counseling? Counseling with this gift. No counseling session would be too difficult for you. No counseling session would present a challenge to you because you would have all the answers. Certainly, the church could benefit from this gift. Very useful. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. What about this, the third gift? Unbreakable faith. If I have all faith so as to remove mountains, this is not a reference to saving faith, but to a type of miracle working faith. You just say the word and amazing things happen in the physical and the spiritual realm. This is faith that causes things to happen. It is a faith that heals and that moves and that liberates. It's a unique kind of faith. I, I don't care how much faith you think you have, you don't have this gift. This is an amazing faith. No, there are no circumstances, there are no people, no storms that can break your faith. Can you imagine if the church had these kinds of people? Unbreakable faith. What about the fourth gift? If I give away all I have. Certainly, we, we would call this unsurpassed generosity. How generous are you? Maybe you, you, you feel pride, pr- proud of the fact that you're a generous, a generous person. Let me guarantee you, you have never met a person like the one described in this verse. It's unsurpassed generosity. You're willing to, to feed the poor one by one. This is not just any kind of generosity. This is ultimate generosity. It gives everything away. You have never met this person. There has to be some merit There has to be some use to what Paul is saying. Generosity is certainly something that we want in the church. We want more generous people. Think about the last one. If I deliver up my body to be burned. Unequaled religious zeal. 
You're willing to go to the ends of the earth, pay the ultimate price. You're motivated by zeal. No one can stop you. There's a, a tradition that says that uh, at the beginning of the formation of the church, uh, it became uh, martyrdom became a popular thing. People were actually seeking to be burned because they wanted to make a name for themselves, to, to make sure that their names lived on as martyrs. Amazing gifts. Whatever thing you, you think you do well, you, you, you don't have this gift. This is hyperbole. Nobody has these gifts. It's an amazing list, isn't it? If, if our church had all these gifts, we would probably have a pretty picture of our building showing on the SBC website. We would probably have people from all over the country, maybe even all over the world, wanting to see us in action. We would probably be ranked number one on the list of successful churches. We would be popular. You see, these gifts that Paul is speaking of in these three verses cannot go any higher. They cannot get any better. Paul cannot find more eloquence to describe these gifts. These are the top of the line. Certainly useful for the life of the church. Certainly marks of a powerful church. But yet, in an amazing use of spirit-guided logic, Paul does something completely unexpected. Paul takes all these gifts. He elevates them through his rhetoric. And then he pulls them down from the heights and he does something unbelievable. He throws them all in the trash. All of them in the trash. If you don't believe me, I'm going to try to convince you. Paul treats all these gifts, amazing as they are, as though they are rubbish. Rubbish, completely useless. Why? Paul has one point in mind and is this. Gifting without love is actually three things. I'm going to show them to you. Verse one, gifting without love is three things. First of all, annoying. I'm not kidding you. Annoying. A noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. How many of you have the, the sound of a clanging cymbal on your iPod? And you just listen to it over and over and over again. You go to sleep with it. You can't go to sleep with that because it is annoying, a clanging symbol. In fact, the original, the original word in the Greek for clanging is alalazo. I know that doesn't mean much, but it's interesting because the, the story of the word soldiers, they, would, um, they, they used to, before they went into the battlefield, they would scream and go like that into the battlefield. So that's either really scary or really, really annoying, but it is not good. And Paul says that if you have all the gifts in the world, but you lack the one thing, love, you have nothing. In fact, do, do this exercise with me. Many pastors have done this, so I'm not the first one, but it's a good one. If you're taking notes, you may want to do this. Write in your notes lots of zeros, just zeros, as many as you want. Zeros, zeros. You can write six, nine, whatever you want. Go ahead and do it if you want. 
If you don't want to do it, that's fine. But I think it's cool. You can write six, nine, 12, however many you want. How much do you have? You have zero. It doesn't matter how many you add. Zeros plus zero plus zero plus zero adds to nothing unless you add one number in the front of it. If you add one number in the front of all the zeros, you have a lot. But it all, all it takes is just one. And Paul is arguing this way. He says, if you don't have love, your gifts are like zeros. They amount to nothing. Not only annoying, but he said, if you have all the gifts in the world, you don't have love, you're empty. Verse two, you have nothing. Number three, you're fruitless. You gain nothing. All these gifts amount to nothing. Paul is so ready to emphasize the supremacy and the, the indispensable nature of love that he's even willing to say that all the best and the greatest gifts combined are nothing if you lack love. In other words, if you don't know how to love the people around you, your gifts do not matter, period. It does not matter how many ministries have your name on them. It does not matter how many musical instruments you can play or how well you can sing. It does not matter how eloquent you think you are. It does not matter how many theological truths you, you know how to handle. It doesn't matter. Your knowledge doesn't matter. Your eloquence doesn't matter. Your generosity doesn't matter. Your zeal doesn't matter. And yes, even your faith doesn't matter if you don't know how to love the people around you. You may tell me, I want to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. You have enormous seal to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. I would ask you this before you go, are you able to love the person next to you? Because I don't care how much zeal you have. If you can love the person next to you, don't go. It's worthless. Listen, your knowledge, your eloquence, your generosity, your zeal, and even your faith are not the measure of your spirituality. They do not measure who you are. Those things might be important, but they do not determine your spiritual authenticity. Even if your gifts far surpass everyone else's, it simply does not matter if you lack love. I think of Preston and his ability to make coffee. It is a gift. It's pretty unequaled. It's almost a hyperbole. It's so good. You know where I'm going with this. I'm sorry I picked on you, Preston. <laughs> without love, uh, it doesn't matter. The only thing that counts is love. Listen, without love, all the gifts in the world amount to nothing. Love is indispensable. So now let's ask the obvious question. What's the obvious question? What is love? What is this thing called love? What is this one thing without which everything else is worthless? What is this? Well, Paul will answer the question and he will continue to prove the point that love is the more excellent way because of love's other-centeredness. Love's other-centeredness. Listen to verses four through six. You know what? Before we read it, let me say a few things. There's a concept today in our society that says that love is, is kind of a, an esoteric thing. You can't really, your mind cannot wrap around what love is. It's hard to explain it. 
Some people think of love in the abstract. Uh, it's detached from reality. You can't make sense of love because there's no way to bring it down to reality. Paul will have none of that. What he will do with love is neither esoteric nor abstract. In fact, it's so practical. It's practical to the degree that you can know when you fail to love. It's that practical. You know when you fail to love. This is how practical this description is. It's not a definition of love. It's a description of love. And the words that he will use are all verbs, meaning the first thing we know about love is, is that love is described in terms of action, in terms of doing. Therefore, you must understand that love is not primarily a matter of feelings, but of the will. Love is not primarily a matter of feelings, but of the will. Love is no cheap emotionalism and no worldly sentimentality. The Christian love is about doing more than about feeling. It was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, who in speaking about love, he said the following words. So it's very good. In speaking about love, he said, and I quote, do not sit trying to manufacture feelings, end quote. When you think about love, do not sit down and try to manufacture feelings that are not there. You see, this is wise because biblical love does not ride on the shoulders of unreliable feelings. I mean, I hate to break it to you, but your feelings are not reliable at all. They're not reliable. Love is not founded upon manufactured feelings which come and go. Biblical love, listen to this, biblical love is founded upon a transformed will informed by divine truth and guided by the spirit. That's biblical love. That's what it's founded upon. So let's look at the qualities of love, the selfless, other-centered qualities of love. Number one, love is patient. Are you patient? Maybe you are thinking to yourself, I am patient with you, speaker guy, because I'm enduring your talk. And I'm not getting up. I'm not going to go to the bathroom. I'm going to endure this. I'm patient. Now, if that's you, that's wonderful, but I hate to break it to you. That's not even close. The, the, the original word is makrothume. I know that's wonderful to you, right? It's, oh, finally, I know what the Greek word is. Patience, makrothume. What, what, what comes to mind when you think of the word makro? as opposed to micro. I'm going to help you a little bit. Micro, what comes to mind? It immediately evokes um, ideas like small, minute, detail. Micromanaging, right? Small, detailed. The word in the Greek is macro. And when you think of macro, you think of something big, massive, extended, all-encompassing. And the word for patience is makrothume. What do you think that means? Patience is primarily a large capacity for suffering and injury. Large capacity. This is the essence of the meaning of the word patient. Therefore, to be patient is primarily to have a large capacity, a persistent capability, an extended ability to endure suffering Injury and offense. Are you patient? You see, it takes a different turn when we realize what it means. Can you imagine 
a husband being patient with his wife, a husband being patient with her wife. Let me ask you this. How do you respond when you are mistreated? How do you respond with disagreements when people don't agree with you? How do you respond? How about this? How do you respond when people are critical of you? When people stab you in the back? When people malign you and speak lies about you? How do you respond? I sat down with somebody the other day and they were telling me their struggle with patience. And I said, it's interesting that the Bible says that patience ultimately is an issue of love. It's a lack of love. Patience means essentially two things. Number one, you will not seek revenge. You will not try to get even when someone offends you. And number two, patience means you trust God's good providence. How is this possible? How is it possible that someone can act this way? Well, we can understand from the word makrothume that patience implies the understanding that whatever good you have, you probably do not deserve. And whatever bad comes your way, you understand that you probably do. Let me look at the second quality of love. Love is kind. Love is kind. If patience is the passive endurance of suffering and evil, kindness is the active pursuit of someone else's good. It is, it is kind of unfortunate that we have downplayed the meaning of the word kind. Have you noticed that? Uh, I have kids. I have two kids. And uh, sometimes I will say to them, uh, be kind to your brother. Be kind to your sister. And you know what I mean by that? Do not hit your brother in the head with a hammer because he could die, right? He could be killed. It's amazing. Like, be kind to one another. Don't, don't slap each other in the face. Don't kick each other. It's an interesting concept because kindness is not just the abstaining from evil. Kindness is, is actually the pursuit of the good of other people that have hurt you. Uh, many of you were wearing green the other day in honor of St. Patrick's Day. And his story is kind of an interesting one. He was never a saint, by the way. And he wasn't from Ireland. He was from Britain. He was British. But he did go to Ireland as a slave. He was taken then to Ireland captive. Um, some Irish pirates came and they took him. And he spent six years in Ireland as a slave, serving a slave master at a sheep ranch. And in those six years of slavery, he came to know the gospel. And his life was changed. But at some point, he decided, I'm going to escape. I'm going to go back to Britain. And he did. 20 years after he escaped, after he grew in his faith, he decided, I need to go back to Ireland. And I need to take the gospel to my former captors. I'm going to preach the gospel to my slave, my former slave master. And he went back and he proclaimed the gospel to his former slave master. And he was one of the first ones to believe in the gospel. So if you think about kindness, this is kindness. This is kindness. When you extend grace to someone who in your mind doesn't deserve it, this is what love does. It's not just abstaining from evil, but seeking someone's good. 
Number three, love does not envy. We're not going to go through all of them. I mean, yes, we will, but I won't take too long. Love does not envy. You know what envy is? Envy is a horrible thing. Some have called it the giraffe syndrome. I love that. Envy, the giraffe syndrome. You're always stretching your neck to look on the other side of the fence because it just looks better than your side. I just love that. Envy has to do with how you respond to someone else's success and accomplishments. Do you rejoice when someone else is successful? Or do you find it hard to rejoice with someone else? Envy is a terrible thing because it comes from a lack of contentment. Envy is a symptom of an ungrateful heart. Jonathan Edwards said that envy may be defined to be a spirit of dissatisfaction with and opposition to the prosperity and the happiness of others as compared with our own. Love does not envy for love finds contentment and satisfaction in God's will. Love leads to gratitude. Are you content? Are you content with your life? Number four, love does not boast. If envy has to do with someone else's success, what do you think boasting has to do with? Is when you are successful. When you have the accomplishment. How do you handle it? When you are successful, when you have the accomplishment, let me ask you a more direct question. How do you handle the success and the accomplishment of your children? Oh, that's a good question. Sometimes we're boastful of how much our kids know. And boasting was certainly a problem in the Corinthian church. This, why, this is why Paul told them in chapter four, verse seven, what do you have that you did not receive Love is humble. Humble people can love. Number five, love is not arrogant. Seeking prominence. The word for arrogance is an onomatopoeic word. You know what that is, onomatopoeic? Onomatopoeic word means that the pronunciation of the word conveys the meaning. And this is the word that Paul uses to explain arrogance. It's like the word boom in English, right? Or honk. Immediately you think of honk, right? The noise, honk, honk, honk. The sound creates the word. The word for arrogance is fusio. Fus, fus. You know what that sound is, right? Inflating something. You're inflating something. And he used an automatic word to, to convey a message. Arrogance is about self-inflating. To make the most of yourself. For others to look at yourself as something special. And they had plenty of this going on in the Corinthian church. I have, to, I have to go pretty fast now. Love is not rude. Rudeness. Common practice in the Corinthian church. We already saw this when Pastor Stephen talked about how the Corinthians, they, they ate the Lord's Supper in a, in, a, in a way that was rude, insensitive to the people around them. Some of the Corinthians had no regard for the well-being of others. Rudeness is to be insensitive to those around you. But love does not act that way because love is centered on others. Number seven, love does not insist on its own way. Um, one pastor said it this way, and I, and I like what he said. He said, surely the number one reason both for the mental and physical illness in our society today is the overwhelming preoccupation with our rights and the consequent lovelessness. That's a good point. Very insightful. Uh, this week, I was researching uh, different magazines and articles on the internet, and I found this one. This is a lady 
uh, giving love advice to other ladies. And this is kind of an example of worldly love, right? Keep in mind, love does not insist on its own way. But this is what the lady told the other ladies that were reading the magazine, right? Uh, this is an online magazine, and, and, and this is the advice that he gave. And I quote, challenge yourself with big relationship-defining questions. Do you want kids? Do you want a guy who makes more or less money than you? Do you want an urban, urban life or a nomadic life? Dig deep and articulate what you want. Then the hard work begins. Because once you know what and who you want, you have to stick to your guns, end quote. It seems like the Corinthians were following her advice. It seems like they were reading this type of article. Because ultimately, it's about you. It's about what you want, your desires. Imagine a life, imagine a church, imagine a family where everybody did this and they insisted on their own way. That's not the way of love. For love does not insist on its own way. Number eight, love is not irritable. Love keeps temper under control. And you can mark my words, the root of anger is self-love. And it is a big issue. Just think about it. It is so hard for our children to believe that we love them if we are constantly irritated at them. Irritability, anger. It is so difficult to convince someone that you love them when you are always irritated at them. Love doesn't do that. Love never says, I love you, but you frustrate me. This is not the way of love. Love takes the self out of the equation. Anger brings the self back into the equation. Love never contradicts itself. Being easily angered is a manifestation of self-love. But love doesn't do that. Because Paul says that love is selfless. Love is not resentful. Number nine, love is not resentful. Keeping a record of wrong. Uh, the, the, the story that best encapsulates the essence of what Paul is saying, I would say, is the story of Joseph and his brothers. We're not told exactly what types of feelings he was dealing with as he encountered his brothers after they sold him into slavery. But you know what we know for sure about Joseph? You may not know his feelings, but you know what you know for sure about Joseph? He loved his brothers. How do we know that? Because he did not keep a record of wrong. His actions, not his feelings, were a demonstration of love. Someone said that love deals with offenses like the sea deals with a spark that falls into it. Just imagine that, a spark falling into the sea. What happens? It is immediately quenched. There's no record of wrong. How are you doing there in that area? And finally, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. If you ever wondered whether love is the same as the tolerance being promoted in today's culture, here is your answer. No. Love will never, never rejoice at sin. Love is never tolerant of evil. Never forget that. The love of which Paul speaks here is the opposite of today's so-called tolerance, for it confronts sin for the purpose of restoration. In fact, one author said that tolerance of evil and sin is a moral weakness, soft, boneless sentimentality. Tolerance of evil is not love. It is the opposite. Love hates sin and evil because love loves the truth. Love is 
what it is, what it is precisely because it is controlled by the truth, not by feelings. You may not always feel like loving someone, but the Christian always knows how to love someone. Love ultimately is a matter of truth. This is what's so wrong, in my estimation, with the ecumenical movement. Bringing all religious together in the name of love, that is not love. You cannot bring all these different theological traditions and Islam and Roman Catholicism, Catholicism and Mormonism and, and bring them all together in the name of love. That is not love because love rejoices in the truth. Love wants the vindication of the truth. Love ultimately is a matter of truth. The perfect example is in the Corinthian attitude toward the immoral man in chapter five. Do you remember that? The Corinthians were proud in their tolerance toward the sexually immoral man. They thought they were being kind and loving by letting him engage in evil behavior. And what did Paul call them? You're not loving, you're arrogant. Because love rejoices in the truth and never at wrongdoing. You're never loving someone when you let them get away with evil. That's not love. That's not love. Now, let me give you my third point and we'll be done. We'll be done. The reason why this has been a little longer is because we had a lot of things going on. So don't blame me, okay? <laughs> love is more excellent. Love is the more excellent way because of its comprehensiveness. Um, listen to verse 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. I, I, Jonathan Edwards convinced me. I didn't talk to him personally, but his book convinced me that it seems like Paul is bringing everything to a final crescendo in verse 7. It is a type of summary statement of everything that he has said about love. And, and this is it. Love does it all. Love does it all. Love is comprehensive. Love is all-encompassing. Where love is, all the other vir virtues will follow. Love bears, believes, hopes, endures. Love is never alone. That is the point. But it always includes patience, endurance, faith, hope, truth, and all to the max. And it does this all the time. It never stops. Love is relentless. Pastor John MacArthur, he said this. I think it's very insightful. And I quote, As long as God's grace is operative... Human failure is never final. This is a conviction of love. Human actions are never final. Human mistakes are never final. Human decisions are never final. And this is because love always hopes. There's always faith. There's always trust. This is why love endures all things. And this is why Jonathan Edwards concluded that love is the chief of the graces of God's spirit and the life, essence, and sum of all true religion. All virtue is summed up in Christian love. But it was the Apostle Paul who summed it up best. He said in Colossians chapter 3, verse 14, And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. If you have love, you have everything. If you don't have love, you have nothing. Three concluding thoughts. I'll keep it quick and we'll be done. This is a call to action. Chapter 13 is a call to action. One theologian mistakenly, mistakenly came to the conclusion that the description of love in chapter 13 is so wonderful, is so lofty, is so beautiful that it must be meant for the life to come. We can't do this right now. We can't. Unfortunately, he missed 
the truth that we are already in the age to come. And you and I are called to live this in the here and now. So let me just give you some points of, for you to think about. Maybe you, maybe you are a homeschool mom or dad and you take pride in your ability to school your children and you know you're good at it. But let me ask you a more important question. Are you, are you patient with difficult people? Maybe you are a father who takes pride in your gifts and your ability to raise obedient children, but are you kind to the unkind? Maybe you take pride in your faithfulness to the local church by being a regular attender, and that's great, but do you envy? Maybe you are heavily involved in many ministries and you take pride in that, but do you boast? Maybe you take pride in your church and you love everything about it, but are you resentful toward your neighbor who doesn't know Christ? Let me put it this way. You must understand that anything that does not come from love comes from a self-serving attitude. If you are unable to be patient and kind and you are envious and rude, irritable, it might be because you are wrapped up in yourself. Number two, my second concluding thought is this. Not only is this a call to action, but it is a call to repentance. I hope you understand this. I hope just by reading 1 Corinthians, you understand that this is a call to repentance. All you have to do is this. Do an exercise with me real quick. Put your name. Replace the the word love with your name. (laughs) It's a really cool exercise. Think about this. Jonathan is patient. Jonathan is kind. Jonathan does not envy or boast. Jonathan is not arrogant. Jonathan is not rude. Jonathan does not insist in his own way. It's pretty pathetic. It's pretty pathetic. Brothers, if, if anything, if anything, 1 Corinthians 13 shows you how far you are from full sanctification. Thirdly and final, 1 Corinthians 13, it is a call to faith. It is a call to faith. What I mean by this is that 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 7 should bring us all the way back to our Lord Jesus Christ, ultimately. And in a very interesting turn of events, I need to tell you that this chapter is not primarily about you. It is about the Lord Jesus. And in fact, with his name, we can do this. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus does not envy. Jesus does not boast. Jesus is not arrogant. Jesus is not rude. Jesus does not insist on its own way. Jesus is not irritable. Jesus is not resentful. Jesus does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but Jesus rejoices with the truth. Jesus bears all things. Jesus believes all things. Jesus hopes all things. Jesus endures all things. This is a call to faith in Christ. My friend, if you are an unbeliever this morning, If you haven't trusted in Christ for your salvation, let me tell you something. This verse, these verses, this chapter, it's a condemning chapter. You can't love this way. 
apart from the work of Christ on the cross and the work of the Spirit in you. If anything, chapter 13 has proven to you, my unbelieving friend, that without the Lord Jesus Christ, you have no hope, for you will never be able to love this way because you were born with a tendency to love yourself. And the only one who can change that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So I hope that you have been, com- have been convinced of this truth. You need Christ more than anything else in your life. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for, um, for your word. Your word is perfect, even though I, I know that my exposition of it has lacked in so many ways and it's far from perfect full of imperfections, yet I know that you will redeem this message and that you will use it to equip us, to love. Father, I pray that you will work in us sanctification. We want to look like Jesus Christ to our neighbors, to those who are difficult. Help us what it means to love in a biblical way. And Father, I pray for those in this room who who haven't believed in Christ. I pray that they will understand that this chapter shows us the true meaning of what it means to be human, but that we are so far from it and that we need your grace, your mercy. And so I pray for the work of the Spirit among us and in us. And all these things we ask in the precious and the powerful name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen.